My first experience with sleep paralysis at age 15 was anything but trivial. We'd moved recently and I was attending a new school. Things were as normal as they could be, I suppose. My dreams were as they always were, pleasant at times, spooky at others. One night, however, a nightmare came to life right before my eyes. I'd gone to bed at the usual hour. Any dreams I had are now long forgotten. What I do remember is waking up unable to move. It was a strange sensation, to say the least. Try though I might, I couldn't break free, though I could feel my body trembling and my arms tingle. My eyes were wide open, fixated on the closet door across from my bed. As I stared, powerless to shift my gaze, I caught movement in the periphery, a shadow lurching toward me, slowly but surely assuming the shape of a woman's face as it neared. She loomed above me. Her hair was dark, her expression blank, her eyes black and soulless. I was scared out of my mind but could do nothing. I fought internally to try and move and at last, thankfully, shook out of it. The apparition dissipated. I ran to my mother's room. A year passed without incident. I was now staying with my father and had all but forgotten the terrifying episode. But one night, after falling asleep on the living room couch, I again awoke to the sensation of total paralysis. My eyes were locked onto the ceiling where I could clearly see something moving. Black as midnight, the shape above me took on the form of a person, though it moved like an animal. It was, in fact, crawling across the ceiling in the most grotesque way. It didn't get close this time, and I managed to shake myself out of the paralysis much quicker than before. In retrospect, though, I was glad this shadowy figure, whatever it was, wasn't as detailed as the woman. Another year came and went before my final episode. This one stands out. All day leading up to it, I'd felt off. I kept catching movement out of the corner of my eye in the shadows, especially in the hallway just beyond the living room. I tried not to pay attention, avoiding on principle all things paranormal. The idea alone of things going bump in the night is enough to rattle me. I suppose I thought feigning ignorance would keep whatever it was at bay. The paralysis came that night all the same, only this time it was different. Unlike the previous episodes, I couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. I could feel something. While I lay there, stuck, I could feel something pulling me by the arm as if determined to drag me out of bed. By the time I shook myself out of it, I was halfway to the floor. I scrambled to the center of my bed and curled up into the fetal position, my mind racing, more confused than afraid, really. Hallucinations happen all the time to all sorts of people, I reasoned. Sleep paralysis is pretty common. But being physically dragged out of bed? How could I explain that? Had the woman come back from me? Had the eerie shadow figure? What, I couldn't help but wonder, would have happened had I not fought my way out of it? Hi, I'm Jamie Murky. And I'm... Ooh, a goose-pimpled Michael Tatum. Do you say goose-pimple or goose-bump? Either or. I say goose-bumps. Goose-pimples seem gross to me. I guess. Yeah, I want to say goose-pimple because then I can I can say goose-pimpled. Goose-bumped uh, seems like a like seems like a goose is just like headbutted me. Yeah, that's true. Or like like a a good like goose DJ. <laughs> He would get a goose bumping. You got a goose bump. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> duck, 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 goose, duck, duck, 
No. No. no <laughs> I, you don't remember that game? I do remember that game. Do you know game. up north they call it Duck Duck Gray Duck? It was the I, this is Brandon's family is from up north, and so we were visiting once upon a time a couple of years ago, and they were they were telling it, and uh, one of his cousins was telling the story about like yeah, it was like duck duck gray duck, and everyone from Texas was like, stop, what the fuck are you talking about? What? Yeah. That seems yeah. so unnecessary. Duck duck gray duck. I don't know why the duck. I mean, it, it, I I personally think duck duck goose was an innovation that was just begging to happen, and we came up with it down here. I don't. That's really gotta know the be it. I don't. That is so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, up duck, north. Duck, duck, in certain places up north, it's called duck duck gray duck. I know a lot of people listening are gonna be like, yeah, what the fuck is duck duck goose? Yeah, that's how it's supposed to go. It's gonna start a debate. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be like debate all you want. Duck duck dress? goose wins. <laughs> Objectively, it makes more sense. Like, I mean, it's oh, easier. you're a gray it's... duck? Why do you got to make it racial? Yeah. Like, why? Why is it got to be? None of the other ducks' colors are getting mentioned, just the gray duck. Right. That seems a really odd thing. And also, to... ducks don't normally chase after people, but go- geese do. Geese are dicks. It just makes more sense. And this. And this is full <laughs> intentions. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathleen, for that awesome sleep paralysis <laughs> submission. Yeah. Uh, that was really, ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. Brings back memories. I've, I've had sleep paralysis uh, I've had it a few times a few times in my yeah. life not in not in not in quite a few years now but when I was in my 20s I had uh, multiple times and it was always terrifying mine was always I was asleep but couldn't move and I could hear things around me mm. but I hear a lot of people their stories where they see stuff like this like Kathleen yeah. did you cease did you hallucinate or mm-hmm. was it mm-hmm. yeah. almost always now I was never physically I never felt anyone touching me or dragging me out of bed that's yeah. as far as no. I know completely yeah. unique but uh, I did. I saw stuff. I saw things. There was other. I would see people in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one time, I one of the less terrifying and just weird ones is I saw someone like going through a dresser drawer and pulling like hats out of it and trying them on, even though there were no hats in that drawer. But that was what I was seeing. Right. Was this, was this tall, goofy-looking dude out of the corner of my eye, like putting on hats and like do do do, and then you put take one down and put the next one on, and I was like, what the fuck? And then so like, it just faded as I kind of. Um, there's a really Ooh. good. I think a very good documentary called I The Nightmare. It. It's so good. About sleep paralysis. Oh and it talks, it, the people that so they interview who all suffer from it mm-hmm. frequently. It's not just mm-hmm. they've had it a few times in their lives. Like people have it all and the time. And it's traumatic. Yeah. yeah. And they all have a different take on what they think it is. Like some people, some of them are like, well, I think the scientific explanation kind of suits me best. And someone else is like, no, there's no fucking way this right. isn't something more. Well, and more. when you and, hear all the stories, it makes you feel like it's there's more to it in some cases. Mm-hmm. Not all cases, you know. Yeah. Uh, mine were always that I could hear someone come in. I was in my dorm and I had a suite mate. So the bathroom connected it um, and there were no locks. So my suite mates could just come into our room if they wanted to. Mm. They didn't because God bless them, but uh, they could have. And I would dream that one of their boyfriend would come in and watch me sleeping. Like that was the sleep paralysis thing. And I could hear him come in and I knew it was a, a dude and that he was just watching me and I could hear him breathing. And that, and I couldn't move. And then I always, always stuck in this moment of like, do I move? Or is it best just to pretend that I'm asleep anyway so he doesn't know that I know he's in here? Like, what's the safer choice? Oh, God, that, my... that is terrifying. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Because it's like, it's kind of, a, it's terrifying because it's a, it's a scenario that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, if there was ever like an X-Files villain that was like, 
I'm not, I can cause sleep paralysis so oh, that yeah. you think what I'm doing is a hallucination and like whatever or other people discount it. Like that's fucked up. Anyway, yeah. I, I think the weirdest one I had, I had some pretty terrifying ones that I won't discuss, but because they're pretty personal. But there was one that I remember the first, I think the first one I had, if I'm getting my timeline correct, was I, I hallucinated Lurch from the Adams family. Not... Not as he was played on television, but do you remember the Scooby-Doo episode where the Adams Family, like, made a special appearance? Vaguely. Right. It was, Vaguely. they were animated. And mm-hmm. um, that lurch, the animated lurch, was in my, uh, was, was in my room and he was trying to suffocate me with a sheet of saran wrap. <laughs> That was, it was really weird. Wow, that is weird. But yeah. I mean, an effective way to suffocate someone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, well, you know, Lurch knows his way around a kitchen, one would think. Yeah. Uh, so he found the and saran wrap and came into the suffocating. room. Suffocating. So, I don't know why. I don't know what he had against me. I always liked Lurch. I would always go out to bat for Lurch. I thought Lurch was like my favorite. He was you like just my didn't favorite trust him. Was... You didn't trust him. There was something else there. I trust your him. Your subconscious does not trust me. I, this isn't me saying this. This is your subconscious <laughs> saying I think, this. I think, <laughs> I think... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think I trusted him, but maybe my subconscious was like, maybe you shouldn't trust him. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, yeah. I I mean, I didn't after that. After that, I was like, I'm always going to be suspect. I tend to, you know, when someone tries to kill you with saran wrap, it changes the relationship. It changes on a (laughs) fundamental level. Yeah, it's, you have to to really reassess. Especially if you never (laughs) actually knew that, that imaginary person to start off with. I think it was at a time in my life, too, where I didn't know the difference between an animated character and, like, I didn't, I thought they were real. Okay. Like, and that they were just filmed. Like, I thought they were, like, a different kind of actor that just, like, looked a certain way. Wouldn't that be amazing if that's how it really was? Like, it's like in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where there are real things. They live in a, you know, they live in their little town. The Toon. Yeah. Toontown. 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 Yeah. Ah. Which, in retrospect, has a really racist overtones. Anyway. It does. (laughs) Like, oh, so the Toons have to live on that part of town. Right. Uh, anyway, but anyway, what's what's the title? You picked the, the I title picked the today. Title today. Come from yes. that you know really well. The title is "Out of the Ash," and the that ash. is from Sylvia Plath's poem "Lady Lazarus." I don't know the poem. You don't. Would you? Would you be so kind as to read it? Yes. Sure. Let me find it. Hold Why? On. Thank you. Um. <laughs> so click, click, click. Everybody's gonna hear click, click, click. Where did it go? <laughs> so it's about her struggle with suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. And um, for her, it started around when her father passed away. Mm. And then she had a traumatic event happen when she was 10 years old. She almost died. And um, she attempted suicide three times, I believe, at this point. And Mm. the stanzas are three lines. And Mm. so it's a very personal poem about the struggle. And um, she personifies the struggle as pretty much a nazi in it so it's it's a pretty powerful poem um but the ending is pretty cool (laughs) yeah oh my god so okay it's lady lazarus by sylvia plath i have done it again one year in every ten i manage it a sort of walking miracle my skin bright as a nazi lampshade my right foot a paperweight My face, featureless, fine Jew linen. Peel off the napkin, oh, my enemy. Do I terrify? The nose, the eye pits, the full set of teeth, the sour breath will vanish in a day. Soon, soon the flesh, the grave cave eight, will be at home on me. And I, a smiling woman, I'm only thirty. And like the cat, 
I have nine times to die. This is number three. What a trash to annihilate each decade. What a million filaments. The peanut-crunching crowd shoves in to see. Them unwrap me hand and foot. The big strip tease. Gentlemen, ladies. These are my hands, my knees. I may be skin and bone. Nevertheless, I am the same identical woman. The first time it happened, I was ten. It was an accident. The second time, I meant to last it out and not come back at all. I rocked shut as a seashell. They had to call and call and pick the worms off me like sticky pearls. Dying is an art, like everything else. I do it exceptionally well. I do it so it feels like hell. I do it so it feels real. I guess you could say I've a call. It's easy enough to do it in a cell. It's easy enough to do it and stay put. It's the theatrical comeback in broad day to the same place, the same face, the same brute, amused shout, a miracle. That knocks me out. There is a charge for the eyeing of my scars. There is a charge for the hearing of my heart. It really goes. And there is a charge, a very large charge, for a word or a touch or a bit of blood or a piece of my hair or my clothes. So, so, air doctor, so, air enemy, I am your opus. I am your valuable, the pure gold baby that melts to a shriek. I turn and burn. Do not think I underestimate your great concern. Ash, ash, you poke and stir. Flesh, bone, there is nothing there. A cake of soap, a wedding ring, a gold filling. Ere God, ere Lucifer, beware, beware. Out of the ash I rise with my red hair, and I eat men like air. Wow. <laughs> it's intense, isn't it? So, so powerful. It like is. And so, like, it just had this kind of trippy... Hallucinatory, hallucinatory? Is that a word? Sure. It is now. Um, I believe it is. Like it had such a such a force to it. Like the images are so crazy mm-hmm. and like so intense and so they just grab me. I don't even know what it means. I mean, I, I get what the right. But that's I love poetry like that. Mm-hmm. Like it just it'll that that's not that's not gonna leave me anytime soon. Yeah. Well, Ooh. and when you break it down, you're gonna fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> when oh, you break it down, you're gonna yeah. I'm gonna be obsessed with it now. Yeah, I'm gonna go study it. It's so good. <laughs> it's I don't know so how good. I don't know how it's taken me this long to really even like look at Sylvia Plath's work because I've I've been yeah. aware of it, but I've just never I've never really looked at it. Right, you have never had your period, and I feel like that does a lot. I'm waiting. It makes a difference. It doesn't happen. <laughs> just in time to dry up. Woohoo! <laughs> That's right. Well, that was so, a gorgeous read. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I thank you, Sylvia Plath, for that wonderful submission. (laughs) 
that's what I said last time about <laughs> yeah about Lee yeah. Blake. We get some um, really awesome submissions on this. Well, I know, show. so good. Kathleen so is talented. in really is in really good company today. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so, so what? So what? How does that relate to your story? Because so, I, I don't know anything about the story you're about. You're going to tell me. No, and it shocks me. In so many ways, does this uh, is this poem. It's the, on the whole, but out of the ash really spoke to me. Um, and I don't really want to tell you why. Okay. And the Lady Lazarus, the title. Yeah. I don't really want to tell you why right now. Okay. I just kind of want to get into my story. I'm literally on the edge of my seat. I know. Don't fall. <laughs> I can't, no promises. Um, I'm not going to edit it out if you fall. You shouldn't. Why would, would you? I don't know. Why the deny answer? our listeners the pleasure <laughs> of my pain? It's true. It's valid and it's true. So, uh... I am doing the island of Povelia. Povelia. It is the most haunted island in the world, and I do not think they say that lightly. I, wow, okay, this, my mind is blown. I, it's also been called Plague Island, the Island of Ghosts, and the Venetian Island of No Return. Jesus. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you ready? I'm so fucking ready. Here we go. Let me just have another sip of my drink real quick. Cheers. Because you're going to fucking love this. Okay. People who know this story are at home or in their car being like, fucking yes, Pavalia! And then people, people who don't are, driving are like, off the roads. what is this? Okay. So, Pavalia is a small island in the Venetian lagoon located between Venice and Lido. It first became populated as early as 2000 BCE. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, okay, so it's been around for a while. It has been. The island uh, is divided in two parts by a small canal, just like most of the islands. Mm-hmm. It's, it's loaded with, they're all loaded with canals. Um, so there are rumors that the Romans, like I've read that the Romans used it as uh, a place to send plague victims in Roman times. Mm. But that doesn't really stack up with me. There's some, uh, Pavalia gets a lot of all of the heat on, on, the plague victims, which we'll get into in a second, but it's not entirely true. Um, huh. They uh, used multiple islands. So I feel like Rome is so far away. You think about it. It's like a, I think about a three or four hour car drive, Yeah, you know, from Venice, like to the coast, to right? The coast, yeah. um, so why would they go that far when there are islands much closer to Rome that they could use? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's who knows? Um, but it could just be elaborating on on what is truth. Uh, in My the favorite f- type of elaboration. Mm-hmm. In the 5th century, Pavalia was considered a safe haven from invasions by Alaric the Goth and everyone's favorite Hun, Attila the Hun. Attila and, and that was Yeah, during the decline of the Roman Empire. Mm. Uh, the small islands in the lagoon were so numerous and evilly, easily defensible that military forces left them alone. This is why Venice was able to flourish the way that it did. Uh, the 697 through 1797 Republic of Venice was a major financial and maritime power during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. It was a center for commerce and art. So much art! So much so art. So much art. And is considered to have been the first real international financial center. It was rich as fuck. Mm. Medici. Medici, Medici. Oh, well, fuck yes, yeah. anymore. That's, the, yeah. They, they, the, the, the inventors of modern yes. finance. Um, and they were there, hmm. you know, through a lot of the, 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 what I'm about to talk to. So they were present. Um, of course, Medici family 
had like three or four popes from them. They were super rich. Uh, they did not start off as royalty. They became royalty. They started off as bankers. Yeah, was, they were merchants and bankers. Yes. And then they became like, hey, Candlestick guys, makers and that. shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but then they were like, wait a minute, we can just buy power. And now we have Trump. So there we have it. Uh, <laughs> and that's the real ghost story. That's the real, <laughs> that's the real horror story. Um, I'm terrified. I can't. I can't. Oh. So uh, with Venice, the reason that they went there to begin with is because it was isolated and people would have to have ships to get to them. And then if they're spread out over multiple islands, you know, you can't get. Yeah, rather to, than yeah. So rather than being like a power hub, they're kind of distributed. It's they're more distributed. of a federation, which makes them harder to right. Attack. And whereas the majority of the people were actually on Venice, they had to get through all of these other islands. They had to get through the lagoon. They had to. It's like a gated community. It was a very. It was <laughs> gated by water. And now there's a quadrillion bridges there. Oof. I love Venice. I've, I, I, I want to go. Love it. I it's go so, so great. There, I had a dream because when I was doing <laughs> when I was doing all the research, I had a dream that I was at Venice with my brother and Jack, and I had the dogs with me, mm-hmm. and they got away from me, and I kept trying to catch up with them, but it was funnier than it was scary because if it had been any other major city, I would have been terrified they would get hit by a car or something. Right. But there is nothing on wheels in Venice. Nothing, no bicycles, no cars, really? no, nothing on wheels. I didn't wheels. know that. Yeah. And is, if, that, is that by law? Or? Yes. So if they put, like I saw they were doing some construction on something and they had this kind of crane thing and they had put wooden boards for it to drive on because they don't allow wheels to touch. So you can just walk down the road. What is that about? I think it's because, uh, and this is just me, you know, guessing. Is it like a superstition or is no, there like no, an no, actual no. like there's engineering reason, reason there's for it? There's an engineering reason for it, I'm sure. Because I know Venice is every, sinking. Doesn't all of the streets are brick. They're made of brick. Oh, and I guess I don't want them to erode. Yeah, but it has been like that for a very long time. Wow. So in my dream, I would be walking and you could see down a street, like down and, you know, to the next street and then... Dot would run with her leash trailing behind her, and I would be like, "Ah, damn it!" As soon as I got one, I get. Anyway, it was it was a funny dream. We had the best time. We woke up at like six o'clock in the morning, and and walked all the way to the the edge on the east so we could watch the sunrise. Oh God, it was amazing. It was amazing. I love it. Uh, So (laughs) around eight sixty four, eight hundred sixty four CE which is the new A.D., the governor <laughs> or doge, which go to the doge's palace if you're ever in Venice. It's fucking amazing. Um, I saw the biggest emeralds ever there. There was like a... Dis- anyway, <laughs> they're that's, so pretty. That's your stone. That's uh-huh, your stone. it is my stone. Um, so the doge was killed, and he had uh, 200 slaves that fled Venice to Pavalia. So they moved there okay. uh, to live in isolation, but they actually kind of thrived, and they lived there until 1379. So from 864 to 1379, they were living there and created a community. But uh, Venice came under attack during the war with Genoa, and the inhabitants on Pavalia were moved to Giudecca. Hmm. So they abandoned the island because it was too dangerous for them, and it stayed abandoned for 200 years. Wow. Yeah. In an attempt to populate the island again, one doge actually offered the island to the Kamaldalese monks in fifteen twenty seven. But they were like, nah, it's cool. We're good. They were from and 
you know, because it's an island, they were from the middle of Italy. Mm-hmm. So it could be they were like, I don't like that much water being around that much water. <laughs> you know, maybe like it could that's be a little too like, out of the way. Too much water. Yeah. yeah so it could have been that. Like four hours to the nearest gas station. Right. We know. I'm not into that. <laughs> um, or they maybe they knew something was going on. I have a feeling about this. Yeah. yeah. The first bubonic plague that struck Italy spread to Venice by 1348. Mm. So this is a little bit before they were kicked off the island. Okay. Right. This plague, this first one in the 1300s. Yeah. It killed one out of every three Europeans. Yeah. It it almost ended humankind. Yes. It was almost a mass extinction. Yes. In Venice, it killed 50% of the population, which was 50,000 people at the time. Oh, my God. 50,000 people died. That is the current population of Venice. Well, I mean, think about it. It's an island, so their only mm-hmm. commerce with the outside world is through ships, and ships bring rats. On rats come fleas, and of course, no one knew this at the time, but mm-hmm. fleas, and they're, you know, they brought the plague. They had no, every, so they were, they had nowhere to go. Right. Uh, that didn't just that didn't expose them to more of the same. Well, and so because of this, the Venetians paid attention, and they were like, "It's coming from the ships." They figured it out. I didn't know that. Yes, they figured it oh, out shit. pretty early on, um, and they didn't maybe know that it was rats. They didn't know, you they know, were like making the connection exactly like, what this but is they, happening, it's like coming to us from equal, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Because it started, you know, in Rome, and it took a year or two to get to Venice. So they knew it was happening, but they it hadn't happened there. So if it starts somewhere else and then they get it, it's not a wave. It's like, someone's it's, brought it. Right, yeah. And, they, like, and it comes on the ships somehow. Right, and they yeah. were kind of like a control, so it was probably easy to see. Oh, this isn't us. We didn't make this. Otherwise, it would have started at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, they figured out how it spread, how people and ships were inducing the plague to, introducing the plague to the area officials realized they needed to separate the sick and dead plague victims from healthy individuals so they set up large burial pits for the corpses at two locations outside the main city but we're talking 50,000 people dying so it was not enough room so that's when they first started transporting bodies to the other islands of the lagoon it started with two islands and then spread to some more including Pavalia Mm. Pavalia was not the first island that they did this to, but it was the last. Oh. In the early 1400s, so not long after the plague, about 50 years after the plague hit, the Venetians invented the concept of the lazaretto. Lazaretto. It's an institution or hospital designed for the quarantine of ill and potentially ill people. Immediately, lazaretto, I think it comes from Lazarus. It makes sense mm, that it would come yeah. from Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lady Sylvia Plath, Lady Lazarus. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's... That kind of like, an ironic oh, name, isn't it, though? Yeah. Consider- oh, but yeah. no, the Italians and their irony. Uh-huh. So, at, at the time, barges were necessary to ship the bodies. So they just loaded up barges and took them to these islands where they had uh, plague pits. Put them in there. Buried them. Oh, God. Um, more plague. A few years later, dig up the grave, put them on top of those, bury them again. Just a, just a layer cake of mm-hmm. plague dead. It's like a lasagna of death. <laughs> a Lazarus <laughs> lasagna. That Lazarus lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> maybe um, they were maybe they were calling it Lazarus because they were like, no, it's going to be okay. We're going to ship them all to this island and they'll come back. Yeah. Right. Mm, 
false advertising. Anyone stricken with even mild symptoms were quickly stripped away from their families and society and taken to the island. Get the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, it was killing half the population. Right. They, they couldn't weren't going to risk it. Shit. Yeah, exactly. Once they were there, they spent up to 40 days in quarantine where they either died or rarely recovered. Some people did recover, though. Mm. Authorities had plague pits dug for the dead, and thousands of bodies were incinerated on Pavalia specifically, Ooh. among other islands, um, to prevent further spread of the disease. So they had plague pits, then they started burning the bodies. And it seemed that they burned bodies on Pavalia. Uh, quite a bit more than these other islands and that given the time to burning a body was real was really extreme Mm -hmm. because this was when the belief in resurrection was Uh you had to have a body to be resurrected Uh and that's why burial was such a big deal in christendom and and others of course but like it was a central tenet of the christian faith the uh orthodox and catholic faith and so burning a body meant like you were now like, there was you no chance that back. that person would right. come back in the second coming. So, like, that's a big fucking deal. Like, yeah. they were willing to just be like, sorry, guys, we just, we have to bring these wanna bodies. We don't want to die. We don't want to die because they didn't want us to spread it. Um, in the plague epidemics of the 1570s and 1630s, so that was 14th century, right. 1570s, 1630s, Pavalia then became the colony and dumping ground for victims of the bubonic plague. Mm. If you were anyone who died of the plague, you did it at Pavalia. <laughs> Everyone who's anyone. It was, it was who the had the south, plague. It was the South Beach of death. That's right. Um, <laughs> and if you didn't die there, at least your body was left in ash or in a plague pit. So there's that. Yeah. Because, I mean, people were dying in the street. They would die in their mm-hmm. homes and not know till people wouldn't know till later that an entire family had died. Oh, um, a lot interview God. with a vampire, like we had talked yeah. about. Yeah. It was everywhere. So they took those bodies. And uh, took them and incinerated them or buried them. In in 1645, the Venetian government built five octagonal forts on various surrounding islands to protect and control the entrances to the lagoon. They're huge. And you can see when we watched the sun come up, there was an island, and I can't remember which one it was, that we could see uh, from Venice. And you can see the fort there. Like, there are four remaining of the five that they built, and one of those is still on Pavalia. Wow. It's pretty cool. Uh, That's cool. And they built it to help with security, all of those things. Um, it was used by English soldiers during the Napoleonic Wars to ambush French commandos. Prisoners were taken ashore and burned. And it God, is, Jesus, uh-huh. that, that island just, okay. Um, the title mm-hmm. of our episode is, is beginning to, yeah, clearer? it's really coming into focus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's rumored that destroyed French ships still decorate the bottom of the lagoon around the octagon. Oh, I still want to go diving I know. around there now. Maybe you don't, though. Oh, no? Okay. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh-huh. In 1776 <laughs> or 1777, uh, different versions say different things so in one of those years mm. the magistrate of health took control of the island and turned it into a checkpoint meaning that any boat or ship headed into venice needed to pass a rigorous inspection as a preventative measure against diseases this is after they had learned what was happening mm. um they also had a 40-day wait period on all ships coming into venice didn't matter sick or not you had to wait 40 40 days so you wow, know that's a... over a month damn but at the time, they had quarters for everybody. Um, well, there nice. were Basically. bars. There was a church. You could go. And you just basically hung out just for hung 40 out until, days. Until yeah, it was actually clearance. a pretty good time. 
okay. going into Venice. You you knew you were going to get a 40-day kind of vacation before you got there. That's okay. Right. Not too that's bad. A, that's a good attitude to have, Jamie. You must yeah. Be, you're, no, you're always wonderful to travel with. <laughs> you, can, you can have a good time anywhere. <laughs> uh, Even when quarantined. Right. Right. Um, but unfortunately, in the 1790s, two ships failed their inspections and fucked it up for everybody. Oh, no. Yep. They found several cases of plague on board those ships. So immediately, Pavalia became a quarantine colony for about 10 years. Oh, my God. Yep, until the early 1800s when the hospital shut down. Again. Can you imagine the people that were there for their like, their 40-day? Yeah. And they were fine. Like, they were just there. Hey, tomorrow's going to be, we're going to get back on our ship and finally go mm-hmm. to port, you know, like to where we're, we were headed. And, oh, sorry. So this other ship mm-hmm. came in. So you're not going to be here for pretty much at least a decade. Like, this right. is now, this is stop being a vacation. And this is now yeah. a chapter of now, your life. Now, if they passed quarantine 40 days, mm-hmm. if they were okay after 40 days, they could still leave. But the people that were there that, like, Thought that got were. infected by, or that, yes. you know, because, like, then I just. I, whew, because I, you have the plague on an island. Yeah. That's what Venice was scared of, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened at Pavalia with all these oh, ships. Oh, God. So there's no telling how many of those people died. And when you picture it, there were, there were people who were not dead. Some didn't even have the plague, and they were sent to Pavalia. So imagine being sick or not being sick. This is one thing I thought of. If it was just rumored that you were sick, so if you had an enemy, a neighbor that didn't like you, they could be like, oh my God, um, yeah. I think Michael might have the plague. Yeah, Jamie's not looking so good, uh-huh. a little green around the gills. I think she's coughing a lot. She yeah. tries to hide it, so don't be fooled. Yeah. Oh, God. So then they come to you, the authorities come, rip you away from your family, and uh, put you on top of those barges. So you are literally on top of, just of thousands of, of dead bodies sitting on a raft, like on the barge, uh, until you get to Pavalia. When you get off, there's a hospital there, but it's not great. And the people who greet you are the doctors with the fucking plague masks. The plague masks, yeah, the big, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Do you know why they had that that long? The nose uh, thing? The nose thing. Why did they have the Well, nose for thing? one, it was a weird thing. They, it made them look like carrion birds, which was just part of their sense of humor. But it also, it was yeah, the, the conical. Uh, yeah, but the, the conical thing at the bottom of it where the beak tapered, uh, there was a little vial, a concoction of herbs and, and various oils and stuff that was both aromatic. Oh, so it, like it, a filter. It, it filtered through the, the, the smell of bodies and mm-hmm. plague and death they were around, but it also was thought to like um, prevent them from breathing in the foul air that caused the plague before they really knew what it was. Right. And so, yeah, that's why. And it just happened to also make them look like vultures, which was yeah. did not, must not have inspired much confidence in people being treated. Yeah, no, yeah, no. But... I just like the imagining that it it I just uh, it's terrible it's terrible yeah because if um, you weren't sick you'd get sick you would oh. you would oh overall it is believed between one hundred thousand to one hundred sixty thousand bodies were burned and buried on the island Jesus Christ here's the thing it is said that literally. Fifty percent of the soil is human ash. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. I bet it's incredibly fertile, though. Well, that's the thing. Grape uh, grapevines are growing all over the place. Yeah, because I, I mean, it's sad, but it's, sad, it's but also grapes. like, hey, you know, it's like it. It is kind of Lazarus, and that, that's know. what they meant. They're they were like, we're gonna burn your body, and you're gonna come back. 
as one of the best goddamn vineyards. This it's like lemons hemisphere. out of lemonade. It's grapes out of death and destruction. It's grapes from plague. Yay! Plague grapes. Plague grapes. There's a band name. Yeah, right? <laughs> would they be a cover band or an original band? I think they would start as a cover band and then blow up. Right. And what would become they their own thing, just like the plague. Just like the plague, yeah. They would take over everything. Oh it's a, definitely a boy band. Um, yeah. It, it's said, too, that in some places, like, when you step on the soil, your feet will sink into it. Because it's... And oh. then you're just standing oh. in ash. That's that's a that's a creed. I just get chills mm-hmm. thinking about that because I can it's imagine so it. It's so intense. Human bones still wash up on the shore. This is why you may not want to go diving over there. Yeah. Okay. I get you. Boats um, won't even fish in the area to avoid catching bones in their nets. Oh. And some won't because they believe the island is cursed, so they stay away from it. By um, the beginning of the twentieth century, uh, fate stepped in. And said, huh, how can I make this island more haunted? (laughs) What can I give this island that already has so much? How about the government repurpose the island's building as housing for the mentally ill? It became an asylum. Why do so many societies have this idea? It's, yeah. I'd really Mm -hmm. like to read a history of like, you know, this island's already in a shitty place. It's like we've killed people, burned bodies, plague victims. I know. Well, it, mm. Well, because at the time, it wasn't like they were seeking treatment. They were just trying to get rid of them. Well, exactly. Out of sight, out of mind. That's all they were trying to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And and this island provided that opportunity. It even had. just heaping tragedy upon tragedy uh upon tragedy. It even had an evil doctor at the helm. Oh, of course it did. Of course it did. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. And it doesn't, like, too, I can't help but think about this. The the mentally ill, but at the time, too, when they were just trying to send you away, if you were too much a problem, if you were a woman who expressed herself or thought about things too Mm -hmm. much, Mm -hmm. you're mentally ill. Or a dude that liked other dudes. Mentally ill. Mentally ill. You're crazy. So you're you're crazy. Basically, if you don't fit into our picture of what makes society right. tick, we gotta. We you're gonna go to this fucking dead island. Although, if you think about it, can you imagine the party? The party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that we went there. This I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, we would have definitely been sent to that island. Yeah, I'd be like, guys, it is so much better here. We don't have to deal with all those fucking prunes. Right. Oh, if it yeah. wasn't for that fucked up doctor, it would have been great. Tell me about this fucked up doctor. Okay, uh, so a doctor at the hospital allegedly experimented on patients with crude lobotomies. His procedures were horrible and extremely painful. He used hammers chisels and drills with no anesthesia or concern for sanitation he supposedly saved his darkest experiments for special patients most likely the ones who fought him on the other procedures and he took them to the hospital's bell tower oh no whatever he did there the screams from those being tortured could be heard across the island One day. Sometimes we ring mass by just poking people in the gut with mm. these special implements and they scream and now you know it's Vespers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One day, the doctor crawled to the top of the bell tower and threw himself off. So now we have a suicide. More poem. 
Right, right. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm telling well, you, it was perfect. I will say, good riddance to that motherfucker. Right, exactly. So some people say he was trying he was going to be found out and he was trying to escape accountability, mm. but more often than not, it is believed that he did it because Pavalia's ghosts drove him mad. I kind of want, I want even something more mundane. I want him to just gone up there to like take in the view and he slipped and fell. Right. Like sneezed and lost his balance Apparently, and over he went. Like that's a good ending for that because yeah. it's not even like, I don't want him to have had a say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the, that's apparently me. the ghosts had been giving him shit for a while. Like he spoke of that. And, you know, you think about it too, for people who do have mental illness and, you know, we've talked about that a lot when the reality veil is mm-hmm. thinner. Yeah. Other things can get in. So you're on a on an island that has had all of these deaths, all of this trauma, haunted all fucking ready. Yeah. The veil is thinner for you. What are you experiencing? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they'll just say you're extra crazy. Well, I think if if you suffer from certain kinds of mental illness and, and you know, that veil is pierced, you have no you don't have the um the mental fortitude, at least in theory, to cope it away right you know most people with you know quote-unquote healthy mental states like will have weird experiences but are we're so good at shutting them out because they Mm -hmm. don't fit into our picture of the world Mm -hmm. but if your picture of the world is already compromised because you are not in your quote-unquote right mind right you know then something you can't really it's not that the things you're seeing are necessarily i mean i don't want to like talk about like mental illness and say oh things are happening to you are totally real but if there is something out there it probably has better access to mm-hmm. to being seen or experienced by someone who doesn't have the same defenses that a healthy yes. mind does yes and the same coping mechanisms right which is important yeah um so yeah that just uh, ugh, it's like man yeah it's the worst possible way oh, and fuck that doctor <laughs> yeah I hope, um, I hope they did drive him well <laughs> mad. mad uh other people have said that someone or some entity pushed him. That is also a satisfying end uh-huh. for the son of a bitch. Here, this is good though. Regardless of the how, a nurse who witnessed his fall said that he initially survived, but that she saw a ghostly mist overtake his body and choke him until he died. Ooh. Okay, that's my favorite version. Of right? The story. <laughs> so then that made me wonder, was he just an evil guy? Was he did the island bring out the evil in him? Was he possessed by some sort of awful thing that was on the island because of all of the death and was it a portally thing? I don't know. But it makes you wonder if there's more to what happened. With, like, in the movie, it's in like... In the movie, he's possessed by an evil spirit that yeah. makes him do all these awful experiments on right. patients. It's like The Shining, right? Ooh, and that's in the movie maybe. version. And then he throws himself off to keep the possession from taking hold. That's a good, that's a good read on that story. Right. An alternate one is that he was just an evil motherfucker <laughs> who came to this island and the ghosts were like, took vengeance on him. Yeah, that's good Because they like, the ghosts were like, we have seen so much fucking suffering in on this island, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, it could be, like, who knows? And they're just like thinking, oh, motherfucker. Like, I think they were just really, uh, it's quite, he comes to this island thinking, oh, it's going to be my paradise. I'm a psychopath and I now have a playground to do I anything do I fucking I want. want. Yeah. And the ghosts were like, do you? Oh, no, really? How's that Funny working story. out for you? Yeah. And then he, or you combine the two, yeah. And the spirits are like, 
we can show you a way out of this. We'll show you a way. And they convince him to go to the top of the tower, and he's trying to get away from the possession. And then ooh, they ooh, trick ooh. him into jumping. And ooh, I'm just. This I like. Is just, it's a good story. It's, it's a good just story storytelling. I think he was probably a piece of shit. Probably a piece of shit. But in the movie, and maybe he was. Maybe he finally. Maybe it could possibly be that his deeds finally caught up with him. Like maybe he just mm-hmm. woke up going, "Oh my god, I'm a fucking monster," and decided to kill himself. Or maybe he had all kinds of nightmares. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes people do really awful things. And they think they're the strong enough, like, psychotic person that it's not going to get to them, but it has a way of bubbling up from their unconscious. Mm-hmm. But, like, you, you're a fucking monster. Like, you're yeah. going to have, you're, you may think you're a stone-cold killer, but you're going to have fucking awful nightmares and visions about all the things you've done. And your opinion of your own powers are going to change, and it drives you crazy. Well, like, think of Richard the III and of... Shakespeare. Like, he's yeah. a monster, but even he has, like, pangs of conscience at the end. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, fuck, I've done some really awful shit, and then he dies. Right. Um, well, and you think, too, if he's doing all of this shit to people... Hmm. He's a nut. He's a nut. Well, I like to think that he became just as crazy as the people he was he, supposed that were supposedly crazy. That realistically, were there. he and those, was already that crazy yeah. if he's doing those well, things. Well, then, but then, and that slowly, his hold on reality slipped his control, and yeah. things got in, and be like, yeah, yeah, motherfucker, you think he's special? You ain't special, right? You're just as crazy as everybody as you think everyone you're treating is, yeah, if not more so. And isn't that ironic that like? Probably a goodly number of people that were sent banished to this island for being crazy were just normal human beings trying to live their lives. That mm-hmm. society, for whatever reason, was like, I don't like you because you're a woman with opinions, or you're, you know, you're, you have, um, you know, you, you're gay or lesbian right. or whatever. And um, and so we're gonna and we're gonna take and we're you're gonna be taken care of by this guy who's like, you know, being a doctor, he must be the you know the pinnacle of sanity. But like, it's he's the crazy one. Like, right. He, he's like society's representative, and it's just proof that society is often mm-hmm. crazy. Yep. Yep. But. Um, okay, so... Sorry, we got off on a tangent there. Right. Mental health and... Yeah. Right. Uh, locals say that on that late at night, when it's quiet, if you're listening closely, you can still hear the bell tower ring. Oh. And the bell was taken out of the tower decades ago. Oh. The patients and staff finally abandoned Pavalia in 1968. It then became a geriatric center until 1975 when it closed up for good. Mm. Same thing. Forget about these people. Let's just put them there. And it was Sad. it was the geriatric, but it was homeless geriatric. It was poverty stricken geriatric. It was we don't want to see them. Yeah, Let's put them where we don't want to think about gonna, them. They're just gonna die and be in the way. That's so fucking sad. Yeah. And we still do that. I mean, yeah. we well, still... let's put. Can we put like a hump in the middle of this park bench so that people who are homeless don't sleep on my park bench? That shit. Yeah, same thing. Ugh, so Bullshit. So gross that we treat people like that. Yep. Yep. Mm. Since then, it has been bought and sold by a couple of different owners who try to sell it again very quickly. (laughs) Um, One family that planned to buy the island to build a holiday home uh, went and stayed a night at the island. Uh, But they the next day, they canceled all of their plans and left the island and refused to say what happened. Later, people found out that when they left the island... They went to the hospital where their daughter received 14 stitches to her face. As she was leaving the island, she was bleeding profusely, and many believe an angry entity had torn her face open. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. In recent years, Italian construction crews attempted to restore the former hospital building, but abruptly stopped without explanation, leaving locals to speculate that they were driven away by the island's dark forces. Scaffolding has been added to the sides of the hospital to keep it from collapsing, but the surrounding vines and trees have taken over. Oh, yeah. It doesn't take them long, especially in that fertile soil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 2014, so not too long ago, 
the Italian state auctioned a 99-year lease of Pavalia, which would remain state property, to raise revenue, hoping that the buyer would redevelop the hospital into a luxury hotel. The highest bid was from an Italian businessman. <laughs> this is an island. A whole island. A, a whole, whole entire island, island. For 99 years. A very fertile island. He won the auction with 513,000 euros. That is the equivalent, um, and I did this today. I figured it out today because I wanted to know. <laughs> uh, it is the equivalent, as of today, 585,000 American dollars for a fucking island. island. This was five like years for, ago. For a decent home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more, a more than a pretty a nice home. Yeah. A, ni- a nice home somewhere in, you know, the, in, in like the mid-cities. You could buy an island. Yeah. And for our, and for our uh, British listeners, that is 443,000 pounds. Damn. Yeah. A steal. A, it's a steal. <laughs> Something happened, though, and the lease didn't proceed um, as his project was judged not to meet all the conditions of the auction. So it's just sitting there. Oh, wow. Nothing's on I wonder what still. conditions they had. I don't know. Yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, they keep, what that, they kind of, had they to keep do. that kind of stuff very private yeah. usually, but it's like, I wonder, like, what oh, you can't disturb and this. And it could have this. been because a lot of the residents of Venice want to do something with it and make it um, like a place where you can go to have a picnic or a place where you can go and it's and it's like a peaceful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're completely overrun with tourists and the erosion that's happening and the sinking of the city is how it's worse and worse because of all of the tourists that go there. They have these huge ships that will dock there and, you know, all of the water coming from the the cruise yeah. the cruise liners right yeah. um thousands of people get off and walk around and then they they leave and and it's the, there's like the tourist market shit you know the yeah. bullshit like you it's walk through that when, it's such a such a shame when things like that happen to these people's yeah. sites like i mean i understand people want to go and see it mm-hmm. but like so many of them after a while and and you gotta know like most of those people i mean real talk most of those people are not going to have any kind of authentic experience there. No. So it's like, it's just, it's yeah. a wasted trip. Yeah. You know, they're going to be like, oh, cool. They get a couple pictures and then they're just going to go and like, but not have really absorbed anything of value right. from their experience. And and the trade-off is, of course, their presence there has slowly yeah. declined, you know, forced the city to do, or the island to decline. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I, I have real... I have a, I'm very conflicted about going to visit there because I don't want to be part of the problem. No, you got to stay at an Airbnb and see it from a different way. I try to, I do try, when I travel like that, I do try to be very conscious and like, I don't want to be a tourist. Yeah. I want to go, I want to try to experience it like, um, yeah. When we walked across the island, it was just so cool because walking there, there were people who were going to work and getting ready for their bakeries or whatever. And like at one point this guy had some boxes, uh, that he was going to his job i'm assuming and we were walking in a single file line but this one particular road was super narrow and so we actually walking past him touched him that's how narrow this road was like it was you know they're all roads it's not like alleys they're all roads Hmm. and because there's no cars on it no bikes no Hmm. you know and um everybody leaves their trash out like they leave little bags of trash and People come in street sweepers and all of that is early in the morning. 
And the guy with the boxes, he had to lift the boxes over our heads so that he could get by with his boxes. It was just so cool. And then on the way back, we saw the kids going to school. And it was just, Uh, it was amazing. I loved it. I loved it. Um, Okay, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, you should go. Let me, I'm going to go with you. Okay. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the, uh, apparently the locals want to do something else with it. So it could have been something there. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, but there's blame them for wanting like a getaway. Yeah. Or just something like, can the tourists go over there? And just, <laughs> yeah. Can we can not we make have that, any market? Can we make, like, like fake Venice and we'll just tell them that's Venice and that's, we can like route them right. there. Yeah. Something. <laughs> something. Um, <laughs> I can totally understand why you want to get rid of tourists. Yeah. Yeah. Or just not invite more. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, the surviving buildings on the Island consist of a cavana, a chapel, a, a, an old chapel, and I believe that's where the bell tower is, and it's from the 12th century. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little chapel that was there when, wow. you know, it was populated for that several hundred years. Um, there's the hospital and asylum and housing and administrative buildings that were used by the staff, and a lot of those have been completely taken over by by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the bell tower digs, yeah, that said that. Um so, again, fate couldn't rest until this shit was the most haunted thing ever. And um, in 1806, <laughs> Napoleon reused the bell tower as a lighthouse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, holy fuck. So, over 100,000 deaths from the plague? Check. Death and torture in an asylum setting with an evil doctor? Check. Check. A motherfucking lighthouse? Check. Check. <laughs> Vampires? What? No, but they thought there were. <laughs> so this crazy little tidbit, it's crazy. At the time, and this didn't really happen on Pavalia, but in some of the other plague pits, they would go and when they would dig up, well, they found in one plague pit, the, they found it recently. Archaeologists went in there and they found several bodies that had stones put, bricks put in their mouths. Oh. And they did that to prevent prevent vampires from feeding. Uh-huh. And at the time, they didn't have, vampire wasn't a thing. They called them shroud eaters because oh, when they found them, yeah. they had blood dripping off of their face. Mm-hmm. There was a hole in the shroud by their mouth and they looked like they had been eating because they were bigger. That was the blow Right, it was right. the the blood from the mouth was the organs decomposing and pushing up, and um, the bacteria on their mouth would eat away at the shroud, but it looked like they had eaten the shroud to get to blood, like, oh. and that they were eating these other victims, and so they would put a, a brick in their mouth to prevent them from eating. And so that happened on the other islands, and I could not not say that. <laughs> that's that's an awesome little little tidbit, little, little tasty tidbit. little tasty tidbit, little tasty tidbit, a little yeah. ghoulish truffle. Uh, Pavalia has been on ghost adventures. Um, <laughs> I can't. I, mean, I just I, I don't. I, I don't mean to malign anyone else that kind of you know is into this stuff, but man, they're just so absurdly macho right that i just can't there's way there's so much testosterone in in, yeah. in that show and I most just can't. of it comes from steroids I... <laughs> allegedly um so you know the one and I, I i have a really hard time watching it so i haven't seen a lot but i've seen some clips of where mm-hmm. he like gets possessed 
and oh, shit. Yeah. That's from Pavalia. Yeah, That's when they went to Pavalia. That's uh, like, it's, it's oh, a little extreme. Oh, um, it's it's also been on Scariest Places on Earth. And oh, I, used, yeah. I watched that with Jean-Luc when we were, when we were, I mean, years ago when it came out. And uh, there was a Scottish guy on there. I think it was Scottish. And he would tell them, he's like, why are you here? And he'd go, no, go away. And we say that to this day whenever we're freaked out like no go if, away yeah if we if we go places I know we have said it and you had to have heard it because Luke yeah. and I we'll just say it to each other that's no st- or maybe stay away stay no, away stay away yeah that's what it was <laughs> we said it to each other all the time no stay um, away it the like, Pavalia has inspired several books it's been and has inspired settings in multiple graphic novels including oh. The Sandman Endless Nights oh something oh yeah Oh, I didn't know that. I know. I know that. Wow. This uh, is, I feel like you've just created a new reality. Like, I didn't I know. know this, but like, this is, you've come from an alternate universe where Pavalia is real, or I've come from one where it isn't, because yeah. I don't know how the fuck I've never heard of this story before. I don't know either. I don't know how the fuck I haven't tried to vacation there. I don't know either. Well. <laughs> you can't. Okay, so, although it's been against the law to travel to Pavalia for decades, it is extremely against the law Uh, to go. Well, there goes Um, that idea. If you pay the right person, though, you can take a private boat to the island. Uh, Otherwise, you have to go through a bunch of, like, bureaucratic rigmarole to get permission from Italy to go there, which I'm assuming is what the ghost shows did. Yeah, they probably have a fixer that's like, hey, can we do this? Deals with all that. Can we throw you a little bit of money? And Italy's like, please, thank you. Oh, my God, thanks. People can still hear screaming coming from the island. They can hear moaning and coughing and hacking as well. Visitors to the the island and the hospital during its... Let me start that over. Visitors to the hospital during its final years of operation, as well as illegal visitors since then, have reported horrifying paranormal experiences inside the buildings and on the grounds. Mm. The first thing most people report is an overwhelming sense of being watched and followed, as well as a feeling of dread and despair. When some visitors arrive, they're overcome with an instinct to flee the island as quickly as possible. I have that instinct right now. <laughs> and you're not even there. And I'm not even there. But I just want to run. I would want to stay. Mm, you I would, would so stay. Stay and see what happens. And I'm like, do it. Let me know. Bye. <laughs> you're like, you're like from, from the boat as it leaves. You're like, let me know. You Text let me, me. Yeah. Text me all about it. There's no reception here, though. So It's like, oh, I've got no bars. <laughs> Visitors report seeing shadows on the wall moving along with them as they just... Dis- explore the decaying facilities entities have been said to scratch and push visitors into those walls some people are even chased by the disembodied sounds of moaning that echo all across the island the most violent entity is assumed to be the doctor shocking shocking a handful of psychics have been brought to the island and they have described it as a harrowing place filled with malignant long-suffering and very angry vicious entities that seem to have a nasty and malicious disdain for trespassers trespassers most of these psychics have found this potent malevolent energy so unbearable and traumatic that they refuse to return One group of illegal tourists arrived on the island and immediately felt an overwhelming sense of dread. Then they heard a deep voice say, Go away! No, stay away! Um, Leave immediately and do not return. I was close. Close. 
<laughs> so oh. they they left immediately and did not return. Yeah, I, I will say as, as much as I'm for saying when you hear the voice say "get out," it's probably time. To yeah, go. like. Like, it's not like an EVP where you're like, elders. yeah, it doesn't say, mur, mur, and you're like, it says get out. No, like yeah. if you, it's, yeah, clear. It just follows, follow instructions. Uh, yeah, that's all you gotta do. That's what it is. They're making it as easy for you as possible. Yeah. I read an article from News.com Australia about two Australian men who went to the island. The author of the article said they thought maybe a wild dog had been left on the island because they found the remains of three large goals that had been ripped apart. They found the island itself to be overbearingly pungent, so breathing was difficult. Signs they came across said, do not dig, there are contagious bodies here. Oh. And they, oh. they stayed the entire night and were unable to sleep. Yeah, I would have trouble with that, too. Yeah. Uh, the next morning... They had not seen or witnessed any ghosts or anything overtly supernatural. However, when they walked back through one of the rooms they had photographed earlier, a steel steel hospital side table that had been on the extreme right of the room had moved to the extreme left. This is how they describe some of the island. The island is littered with remnants of human occupation from many generations. Old wooden shutters fall off ancient hinges as ivy with stems or trunks the size of a man's forearm snake their way into old rooms. Terracotta roofs of buildings have collapsed, in part bringing old reed and mud-style plaster ceilings crashing to the tiled and stone slab floors. In some rooms, cast iron, lion claw feet baths sit rusting where they have sat from decades before, as do hundreds of hospital beds, gurneys, steel bedside tables, and surgical instrument benches. Too much for anyone to bother to have cleared out. And that Ooh. is Pavalia. Pavalia. Yes. Thank you. I've You're learned welcome. so much. Oh, so much fun. I have to pee now and make us another bunch of drinks. And we're back. We're back with our freshly made drinks. Clink. Clink. (laughs) (laughs) I was holding it weird, so it's more of a thunk, but Mm -hmm. you get the idea. Mm. Copper cups just don't clink as well. But they're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love copper. Never, ever, ever buy... For those of you listening that are interested in this kind of thing, if you're thinking about dropping like $2,000 on a copper set of cookware, fucking don't. It's the worst purchase you'll ever make in your life. Anyone that tells you it cooks well is fucking lying. It's beautiful. Have it for a decoration. Don't ever use it to cook because it it does not maintain its color. It turns into like this weird oil slick rainbow color. You have to clean it every time you look at the fucking thing. I hate it. It's the worst purchase I've ever made. two pans. Almost. Mm -hmm. I have more, but I pretty much only use two. Yeah. I'm the same. I have, a, the... I have a skillet, and I have like a saucepan. Yeah, I have and the saucepan. The saucepan is just a stainless steel. Yeah, yeah. I have that. This the but I don't use the saucepan very much. I usually just use the skillet, the the smaller like omelet size. Yeah, and then yeah. I have the bigger one, and I use those almost exclusively to make everything. That's all you, it's really all it's you really need. It's really all you need. You know, unless you're like doing a bunch of stuff at once, like if you're making a big feast. And you, yeah. But, but don't, just Cavalon, don't do, don't do, yeah. Cavalon's the shit. So good. Right, so. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Black Monk of Pontefract? I don't know. Okay. I like, it's one of those things that like once you get into it, I might have. Yeah. I thought for sure you would. No, I've never heard of No, I've never heard of Oh, Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so when when you mentioned that it had been used as a setting in in uh, Sandman, I was like, okay, I, I vaguely yeah. remember it, but I don't, I wasn't aware that it was a real place. Yeah. Uh, so that's fucking awesome. Well, the Black Monk of Pontefract is um, kind of in keeping with, I guess, the past few episodes I've been focusing on poltergeist incidents, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm just totally, it's my thing right now. I'm all about poltergeist activity. The Black Monk of Pontefract is a story that. It happened in the uh, mid '60s, mid to late '60s, rather. 1960s. In, uh, 1960s, yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's it's pretty recent, and it's one of the weirdest, just surreal cases of a haunting I've ever read, and it is highly regarded by professionals and 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 anyone that's interested in this kind of stuff. It has never been debunked, and so many people experience stuff because this this the home in which all this stuff took place drew a lot of attention because Pontefract is not that big of a town. So just about Pontefract it, is a town. It's a town. It's okay. a town. Yeah, we'll get to that. When you in a were bit. first telling me what you were doing, I kept hearing the black monk of point of fact. And I'm like <laughs> the maybe that'll make sense later. <laughs> the black monk of Pontefract. Pontefract. P O N T E F R A C T. Pontefract. Pontefract. Okay. So, um, so the it's a it's an ancient West Yorkshire market town. Has been around for a very very long time. It was occupied by the Romans and whatever. It, I mean, what wasn't? Right, right. Especially in that. <laughs> but they're very. It's a very. Um, well, their town motto, because every town in England has like a motto. If it's old, mm-hmm. it has a motto. And their their Latin motto is post-mortem patris porfilio, which means after the death of the father, support the son. Which talks about, it, it basically it comes from their very, the town's very royalist leanings during the English Civil War. Mm-hmm. And gives you an idea of the conservative values of the, however many residents are there now. Uh, but the name Pontefract itself is Latin for broken bridge. And it has to do with uh, this group of Anglo-Saxon insurgents who who broke the bridge from Pontefract over the River Air to basically hold their their the shore up their side of the bank or whatever. But it could just as easily be a metaphor for how kind of out of touch with the modern world Pontefract has long been, mm-hmm. because it's very sleepy, um, not quite rural, but it's still very much like as a marketing town with uh, with a few of additions of modern amenities. It's pretty much as it's always been, which is fascinating. And it's so like it's like a sleepy hollow, kind of, kind of. That's a what that happened to my voice really just high. there. Was... So it's like the perfect. Play. It's an unusual, it's it's not an unusual setting for a ghost story, rather, but it does happen to be the setting for one of the most unusual ghost stories I have ever encountered, because the shit that happens is so constant and so weird and surreal, I believe it just on the strength of how weird everything is, I cannot imagine anyone trying to, like, seriously sell anyone else on this being true. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 I imagine even what I'm about to read you is highly censored, <laughs> because... Okay. I'm sure the weird, because it's just so fucking weird, Jamie. You have no idea. I'm gonna. Um, most of the, the information I'm going to give you comes there from uh, Colin Wilson's book. I've mentioned him before. He's uh, he's written a lot of stuff on the paranormal, and he's one of my favorite uh, researchers into it. And his book, Poltergeist, A Case for Destructive Hauntings, it talks a lot about, so devotes an entire section of the book to the Black Monk of Pontefract, which he investigated a little bit in the 80s uh, after the fact, kind of interviewing people that had experienced stuff, of which there were quite a few still around then to, to talk to. Uh, but he was first made aware of the story by this amateur historian named Tom Cuniff, who was had come to Pontefract because he was doing uh, he was doing some research on um, Clunaic monks and the Clunaic monks the, I get the name from because they came from Clunay, France and they were basically they branched off from the Benedicts. Uh, if you were a monk at some point in in early part of Christendom, like you were a Benedictine monk, 
but the 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 Benedictine order in Cluny wanted to or Cluny wanted some sweeping reforms to monastic life. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, not to get too much into it, but they just wanted to be able to fight in wars. <laughs> and so they were very like, they were like warrior monks. Okay. And so they split off and they kind of migrated out through Europe and uh, they set up shop. A lot of them set up shop in Pontefract. And where they were for about 500 years. And so this guy, Tom Cunniff, who was doing research on them, found the story about this family living in, you know, in the 60s that was like, had all this weird shit happen. And he thought, this is a great story. And there's a lot of oomph to it. Uh, you know, this is the time of the Amityville horror as well. So mm-hmm. he was like, this is, we can sell this. So he went to Colin Wilson, who knew he was into this kind of stuff, and said, I think you should, like, do a dramatic novelization of this. So Colin Wilson did uh, looked into it, and he thought... His his instinct was, man, this story is so fucking weird that there's no point trying to dramatize it. Let's just, I'll just write a book about poltergeist haunting. It'll be, just, we'll just be, it'll be a factual record of what happened because there's no need, like, there's right. no need. As a film, no one would fucking buy this. Right. Yeah, you have to say it's true because no one's going to believe. Exactly. That, yeah. Somebody so, would come up with these ideas. It's poor character development. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Colin Wilson was very, he was like, nah, I don't think there's a need. I think let's, yeah. just, let's just do a piece about it. Um, so from about 1090 to 1539, Pontefract was home to the Order of Clunaic Monks. As I told you, who they, they were these warrior-like monks who they just kind of splintered off altogether and formed their own clique. Now, according to legend, in the time of Henry VIII, one of these monks supposedly murdered uh, and uh, raped and murdered a young girl and was hanged for it. Uh, there's a there's a version of the story where the monk is actually taking the heat from his brother who committed the act and mm-hmm. who goes to the gallows himself. But uh, either way, it's known that he was hung on the gallows that was built on the highest hill in town. And uh, on that site, much later, beside a bridge just beneath where the black monk supposedly swung his way into eternity, was built the home of Joe and Jean Pritchard and their children, 15-year-old Philip and 12-year-old Diane. On the same hill where he was hanged? Right there. Oh. Uh, at least according to legend. Uh, and they, they lived on 30 East Drive. That's how... That's how um, non-modern this town is that even in the 60s there's just 30 east drive that's an address (laughs) (laughs) now i should mention here that the black monk's crime and subsequent execution are just legend there's no documentation um the only record of anything similar involves the hanging of a priest named george beaumont during the english civil war when the parliamentarians were besieging pontefract castle beaumont was discovered to have been writing letters to known royalists and so he was executed but that's the only record we have of any clergy meeting they're in like that but But the legend of the black monk nevertheless endures. And even though the monk himself may not have ever existed, his apparition will play a role in the story that is Mm -hmm. highly suggestive of how a poltergeist works. Okay. Like the poltergeist decided, and you'll see it, um, I hope, that the poltergeist created this apparition because that was the legend he thought it would be, or it would thought it'd be really fun to play Mm -hmm. with that idea. Well, if that's a fear... Exactly. Yeah. And well, the poltergeist and the poltergeist, especially in this case, seemed highly suggestive to anything someone would say. Someone would suggest something and it would fucking happen. Like, oh. it was so weird. Like, so I, it, I would be like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if my dishwasher was cleaned out? <laughs> someone put away all the dishes. And, and something then... would happen to that effect. But with a prank involved. Like, oh, oh yeah, your dishwasher's cleaned out, but now all the dishes are on your bed. 
Right. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't want that either. So now, even before the bizarre events for which the Pritchards would become begrudgingly famous, the town itself and the, the Pritchards in particular were, were no strangers to the paranormal. Diane, the youngest, claimed to have seen two women floating above the lawn of a hospital uh, for mm. like a 15 minutes. She just stared at these, these women. Um, while sick, she said she saw an old woman in gray standing outside their window. And there was a pub in town called the Golden Lion that was run by Joan's sister, one of Joan's, uh, excuse me, one of Jean's sisters named uh, Christine. And it had a lot of poltergeist activity happened there. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of known around town as being a haunted pub. So, like, if the black... Because it was a pub in England? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right. All of them. So, so if there was any family for the black monk to to bedevil, it was definitely the Pritchards were the obvious choice. Now, so getting back to Colin Wilson, um, poltergeist activity, according to him, unfolds in a series of stages of in, of growing intensity. Now, there is stage one. He calls the latent dormant passive stage, and this is the point at which incidents tend to confine themselves to things like my animals are acting weird, like my pet just stares in the corner or growls at something that isn't there. I'll feel cold spots. It's nothing overt, just a little unsettling and weird. It's very... Things that make you go, huh. Hmm. Yeah, things that make you go, hmm. Hmm. That was for all the 90s kids. Um... Stage two, he calls the obvious detectable presence stage. And this is, like, as named, it's where you begin seeing signs of something. Like, you don't see things happening, but you see the aftermath. So you'll see, like, there'll be scratches on a piece of furniture, or things will have been moved, but you didn't see them Right, like when the thing moves across. Exactly. And and then this then goes on to the next stage, which is, uh, he calls the increased kinetic activity. It's what most of us think of when we think of poltergeist activity. It's when, like, things are being thrown around, and you're hearing noises. It's very active it's and movie then, type poltergeist yeah thing, movie yeah. type poltergeist stage four he calls the individual target stage and this is when the activity seems to ramp up and become the most uh, violent but also to target a specific person Mm. usually a teenager going through puberty that's right. that has been uh, which is or, why we never know is it a poltergeist or is it the subconscious right. energy well, what is really fascinating to me is colin wilson had long before studying the black monk of pontefract and writing uh, his book on poltergeist in my mind colin wilson mm-hmm. is actually colin firth I just need you to they know they kind of look similar really? i'm not gonna lie <laughs> they do like I colin just... wilson was from an earlier generation so right. but colin firth could absolutely play him yeah in my really mind funny. he was a cornish gentleman is. who just like he was a cute young man like when he was mm. young and he wrote his he wrote a book called the outsider which was kind of a study of like the literary trope of the of the the, the pariah yeah. and, and kind of and he wrote it in his 20s and like there's a picture of him when he was like an angry young beatnik and mm, mm, man mm. i wonder i would not I bet he was all romantical and stuff he was very and so intelligent like basically yeah. He's, he's my Colin se- Firth. He's my secret hero. Oh, I, I love it. I've been a fan of his work for you. And he is so prolific. Yeah. And very studied and very measured. Like, he doesn't, he's not a sensationalist at all. Mm-hmm. He very much prefers to just kind of look at the history of things and kind of really consider and weigh. He's not interested in trying to sell it to you. Mm. He's interested in taking these concepts and making them part of a broader philosophical discussion because that's right. his area of expertise, is history and philosophy and ideas. In his book on poltergeist activity, from which a lot of this Black Monk stuff I'm going to give you comes... He admits in the opening that he's like, I had always thought, as many people did, uh, especially in that time, that poltergeists, you know, were unconscious kinetic, psychic, psychokinetic activity caused by someone. Like, you know, like it was centered around a person that was doing it themselves. And he's like, but the more I looked into it, the more I thought... 
And, and he found that parapsychologists who wanted to go under the radar because it kind of flew in the face of their received wisdom, mm-hmm. that they believed, no, it's actually more complicated than that. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that poltergeist activity is, in fact, caused by spirits taking mm-hmm. advantage of whatever power is available to mm-hmm. a person going through puberty or go, having mm-hmm. through some troublesome times, like we heard about the last episode talking right. about um, uh, Doris Vithers. And so I find that fascinating because Colin Wilson was kind of a skeptic when it comes to ghosts and stuff like that. He's always a believer that like they're made this, the phenomenon Rational. is probably, he doesn't believe the phenomenon doesn't exist. His yeah. explanation has always been, or he's always leaned toward, you know, it's something, it's some latent power of the human mind that's doing it, that we're projecting right. these things into reality. But now he's like, nah, after studying poltergeist for as long as he did, I'm believing it's more of a two-way street. Oh. Uh, that spirits are involved, and it's like it's some conjunction of the two. And the black monk, a pontefract, is one of the one of the tipping points for him. Mm-hmm. So it all started. And this is so we talked about the stages of Poltergeist haunting, and what's unique about the Black Monk is that he forewent the first two stages altogether and dove right into like the third stage, the kinetic yeah. shit, where it was like immediately like there was no indication, there was no preface, there's no preamble, right. shit just started. Or at least happening. if there was, they weren't aware of it. Yeah, and so um, he just wasn't really good at poltergeisting until he got to the level. <laughs> it happens so, to the best of us. Sometimes we're better at elevated things than the very beginning. Right. Some. Yeah, you, you have know, to get into sometimes, it. Like, yeah, sometimes you, know, we, you lose this in the setup. Yeah, you can't naturally <laughs> add four, you know, you can't multiply four by nine and know immediately the answer, but you can do trig backwards and forwards. Right. That's like what he was. Yeah, well, so well, so the events, uh, the first incidents seem to revolve around Philip. The, the teenager, and he was this wistful, mm. bookish kid who was just entering puberty, and he didn't really get along with his dad, who was very working class, and his dad ran a pet shop uh, in town. And uh, so Jean, Joe, and Diane, the youngest, had left for a weekend getaway for the bank holiday, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And Philip was at that stage where he's like, I don't want to go with you. So he stayed home. Mm-hmm. But Mrs. Scholes, Diane's, uh, excuse me, uh, Jean's mother, the grandma, basically, Philip's grandma, stayed with him. Okay. And so one afternoon while they were just hanging out, Mrs. Scholes was knitting a cardigan in the living room, and she felt this cold wind Fucking blow grandmas. through the house. They're amazing. Right. She felt this cold wind blow through the house, and the windows rattled, but she looked outside to see Philip sitting in the garden and noticed that, like, it, well, clearly it was not so cold that Philip could, you know, was, was out there without a sweater of any kind. And the trees, even though she could feel the wind and hear the, the window panes rattling, the trees in the garden were completely undisturbed. So she just kind of made note of it and thought, okay, that's weird. Back to my cardi. Yeah. I'm just going to keep on A little while later, Philip walked in and he saw, this is the weirdest fucking thing. He saw white chalky powder falling like snow in the living room. And it was collecting on stuff. Oh, and that's just not cool. And he pointed this out to his grandmother who looked around and was like, oh, oh, what what is that? And they looked up and... It seemed to be coming from the ceiling, but as he actually got into the room and saw it, and she looked up too, it was actually coming from a point about five feet from the floor, falling. Like, from five feet up, nothing. But five feet down, falling onto everything. It collected in her teacup. It collected on the stuff. And they were like, what 
is this? Someone's gonna have to clean up that shit. Well, so they went across the street uh, to to uh, uh, Diane Kelly, who was one was another sister of of uh, Jean's, okay. and uh, asked her to like come and have a look at this. This is this is how because I mean it just went shit. on and on and on and on and on. It wasn't yeah. like a, a brief moment. This was going on for like at least an hour, and stuff was collecting. I mean, like it, there were piles of it now on the mantle and on top of the television and here and here and here. Oh, I wish they had smartphones back then. Can you imagine? I the know, right? So. So, so uh, Diane Kelly came over and she saw it too and was like, what on earth? And uh, they could find no explanation. And But she was starting to get like alarmed at how much of this powder was piling up everywhere. So Diane... My fear is that um, it's asbestos. Well, but this was a house built way before asbestos would have been a thing. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's not a thing. And there's no explanation for why it would be coming from the middle of the room, falling as if from some invisible portal that no one can see, rather Look, than from the ceiling. Asbestos is no joke. <laughs> it doesn't fuck around. <laughs> well, so Diane went into the kitchen to get a broom and a dustpan to try to start cleaning this stuff up. And she slipped on a puddle, and she noticed the puddle. So she gets this dish rag, and she soaks it up, and she's wringing it out. In the sink, when she looks, and there's another goddamn puddle where the where there where she just cleaned it up, and it was a neat puddle. It had this neat circular outline, so that it didn't look. There was no splash zone, nothing. It looked mm-hmm. like someone had just poured it there from a mug that was just a couple inches off the ground. And so she cleaned that up, and another one appeared, and she cleaned that up, and they're oh like, "Oh, God. you got plumbing problems." So she lifted the linoleum from the corner, and the floor underneath was bone. Dry. Oh no. So, no, this certainly wasn't from a burst pipe. They called the water company. Meanwhile, she's like, I am never fucking babysitting this child again. <laughs> so, they, well, so they, she went, um, she told them about this, they're looking at whatever, and, and they, they called the water company to come out because this was an issue. These puddles were starting, these little perfect little round puddles yeah. uh, were starting to just crop up everywhere, just instantly, like they it's wouldn't see them form, right? Well, and they cleaned it up and they'd appear again. And so, they called the water company, and this young technician came out, and he looked around, and he's like, ah, there is no. No explanation for why these are happening. Maybe it's just condensation from the weather. Bye. They were like, um, okay, well, it's it's summer, uh, so there's really not. That's just not how condensation works. Right. Doesn't pick. And so eventually, the 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 powder fell, or the powder stopped and was gone. Uh, The water puddles stopped. Uh, Diane, and this, several hours had gone by now, and so Diane was like, I'm, I'm going to go back across the street and just uh, holler if you need anything. And so Philip and his grandma, Mrs. Scholes, were sitting there again, and they started hearing this noise come from the kitchen. And they looked, and they used to have one of these old, like, plastic, or it might have been a tin tea dispenser, and the tea leaves are in it, and you just punch mm-hmm. a little button, and out they come. And there were tea leaves all over the kitchen counter beneath it, and they watched as the button and the, and it kept depressing. Oh. Um... You know, again and again and again until the whole thing was emptied out onto the counter and tea leaves everywhere. And after it was emptied, it kept doing it. And they walked in there to be like, what in the hell? And then the cabinet started rattling like there was something, like uh, they described it as uh, like something was trapped under there trying to get out, like scratching and banging and buff. They would open the cabinets, nothing in there but the but the cutlery and, and the, the flatware. Oh my God. First of all, they opened, like, something's trying to get out. Maybe just leave it there. Well, if you, you know, your first thought is <laughs> like, this still. isn't supernatural. It's an animal. We got, you know, like they, their first thought was not, this is something supernatural. This is something I is wrong with the I just feel though house. at this point. Well, well, just as things were, just as, because these are, these are Yorkshire, like working class people who are not, they're like, okay, we're sensible, salt of the earth people. Our first thought is not going to be, it's a ghost. Our first thought is like, okay, there's something here that, that just needs fixing. And so they're trying to figure this out. And then they hear this crash from the hallway. 
and this was the kind of penultimate thing. They went and they looked, and the house plant that had been at the bottom of the stairs was now rooted out of its pot and was on the middle of the stairs, and the pot, which had been at the bottom of the stairs, was now on the top landing for some reason. Oh, shit. And so they're like, ah, we're going to go across the street and we're going to spend the night with Diane. <laughs> <laughs> and so while they were kind of sleeping there, Diane and her husband, Kent, were like, we want to go over across the street and like investigate. Yeah, we want to see this. So they go up and they get another neighbor. This guy named George McDonald, who was like the resident expert on ghosts and poltergeists, which, mind you, this was like the 60s and 70s, so like they were kind of all the rage. And they were like, let's go. So he'd like, bring him over. And we'll, we'll, he, they were telling yeah. about all the stuff that they that, that, that Diane had seen with the white powder and the puddles and everything that the grandma had told them. And so they go over to check it out. And nothing happens. And McDonald talks about like, well, you know, it usually centers around the person, usually a teenager, and like Phillip's across the street. So if anything's going to happen, it's going to be over there. So they're like, oh, okay, well, then that makes no sense for us to be here as they were leaving mr mcdonald made some comment about and this is so fucking random he made some comment it was like i also hear they they rip up pictures a lot and as they were leaving they heard a crash from the hallway there's gonna be a lot of these they went to go look the pritchard's wedding photo hanging in the photo in the uh, hallway was slashed in two <gasps> And the glass shattered everywhere. Yeah. And it was like, what? Uh, okay. So this, that was, this was this, this one night that mm -hmm. things hung around Philip for a little while. And after this, nothing happened for two years. Okay. Uh, for two years, nothing happened. But then the activity seemed to shift focus from Philip to Diane, who then was going through puberty herself. Mm. So... It started with Jean discovered Diane's bedspread. They call it a counterpane, which is such a weird a name. counterpane? Counterpane is what the British call a, a bedspread, or at least Yorkshireites call it. Or at um, least they did. Don't do that anymore if you're listening. It makes it sound like uncomfortable and wooden. No. Um, but so she found Diane's bedspread weirdly at the bottom of the stairs. So she goes and collects it and is like, okay. And she goes to put it in Diane because the kids were off at school and she was just cleaning house. And she finds the bedspread, takes it up to the bedroom. Here's... A boom or a crash from the stairs, goes outside, finds uh, Philip's bedspread where Diane's had yeah. just been, and was like, "What the hell?" So she takes that and and was just, "Oh, okay." So that was a weird thing during the day. Well, later that night, she couldn't fall asleep. Uh, she just was tossing and turning. It was a really hot night, and they had the windows open. Uh, you would upstairs. think as tired as she was doing all this extra work. <laughs> right. Well, she was just really bothered by it, so I guess she yeah. couldn't sleep or something. There's just, she just felt really uh, unaccountably restless. It was really hot. She needed some cortisol um, balance is what so she, she needed. <laughs> well, she got up to just kind of walk around the house, and for some reason she felt drawn to the top landing of the stairs. So she went out in the hallway, and it was ice cold in mm. that one spot. The rest of the house was so hot she couldn't even fall asleep, but this one area was ice cold. Now, down at the end of the hall, they'd been redoing some of the paper, uh, the wallpaper. And so they had, like, a plaster bucket and a paintbrush and, like, the um, some rolls of wallpaper and a vacuum cleaner down there. And it was dark, and she just noticed something moving. And she looked. What the hell? <laughs> and something flew by her head. And I mean, within like, I mean, so close that she could feel the air of it. Like it all it pretty much grazed her. And she looked and she saw the paintbrush uh, fall to the floor on the other side of her from the whole other end of the hallway. And then she looked back at what she saw was moving. It was a strip of wallpaper that had come off the wall and was erect and swaying like a snake. 
and just oh. doing this number. And she was looking at this just kind of thinking, am I dreaming and whatever. So she reached out to grab it and it just went inert. Oh. And the minute, the second she did that, the vacuum cleaner lifted up off the ground and started swinging around like someone was using it like a club over oh, her head. So no. she starts freaking out and then she gets on all fours and just crawls her way back to the bedroom. A roll of wallpaper chased her. Oh my God. <laughs> this is so crazy. And we're just getting started. This roll of wallpaper chases her. She slams the door. It thumps up against the door upright. Oh my God. She could hear it because it was loud. And she starts just shrieking as, Yo, yeah. as you do. Woke up everybody. Uh, Philip and Diane, uh, little Diane, came, come running from their bedroom down the hall to see what's up. And they start, like, shit starts flying all around on them. The paintbrush came up to Diane and started, like, with its bristles like all over her, her face. face. Like, just <gasps> enough. Like, it didn't hurt, but it was just like, like someone was, like, Bob Ross was invisible. And like, we're just going to put a happy little tree right here. It's your world. You can do what you want with it. Except you can't. And so. Because Poltergeist. Because Poltergeist. So this was, and as, you know, by now, Joe was up. What the hell's going on? Get in here. And they saw, he got out and saw all the shit flying around. All four of them saw this stuff. And they were like, what in the hell? They saw, because Diane's bedroom door was now open, because uh, she just come running from there and was now trying to shield herself from this paintbrush. The curtain rod over her bed, mind you, the window was open, the curtain rod just wrenched from the wall. It was held oh, in no. place by a three-inch screw, wrenched yeah. from the wall, and just went out the window. And they heard it clanger on the, the pavement below. So... Oh, my God. I just keep thinking somebody has to clean up this mess. (laughs) They're going to have to fill in those holes and and reset the anchors. Like, what a fucking nightmare. Well, and the running theme here, too, is that this, this entity, whatever it was had a sense of humor because it loved making a mess. And Jean was a neat freak. She was a very tidy woman. And she hated this, this... this thing drove her batshit because she was like, I just cleaned up this mess and there's another one. And this happened think, all the time. Do you time. think Marie Kondo is going to get a poltergeist? <laughs> Does this bring you joy? Does this Does bring, this you, bring joy? you joy? And it just throws stuff that brings... That this, maybe, I doubt this brings maybe, you joy. Maybe she had a poltergeist, and, and that's, that's why she cleans now because she does. She wants to her house to have less stuff for a poltergeist to fuck with. Oh, that's my movie. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so the Pritchards were your typical Yorkshire stubborn stock, and they just wouldn't move from this house, even though after they told people these experiences, they're like, "Oh, you got to move your shits on it." Yeah, they're like we're not going to move from a house just because we've had a couple of days of weird stuff happening. Like this is weird, but they just decided to kind of accept whatever this was as part of the family because it wasn't hard them and that was kind of the running the 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 so often the case with poltergeist activity is things will seem to like like fly at you like if they hit you with like Mm -hmm. when diane was getting hit by the paintbrush like the first time it came and hit her like and it came with such force that it looked like it ought to have knocked her down and left a bruise but she said she could barely feel it Mm -hmm. when it hit her so that that seems to be like it's like just trying to scare you and not actually going to hurt you Except sometimes it would do little things like scratches and stuff, but you don't feel it. You just see the evidence afterwards. Like, what the hell is this do? It's like, it's weird. It's like the entity is conscious. Like, it's just messing with you. It's mischievous. It's playful. It's not trying to attack you. It's just trying to freak you out. So they nicknamed this entity. They decided to call him Mr. Nobody. Or, uh, excuse me, Jean preferred to call him Fred. (laughs) (laughs) She thought Mr. Nobody was a little too sinister sounding. So, um... And some of his, most of his antics would start up after dark around bedtime and during daylight hours when Diane, the youngest, was at school 
tended things things tended to be pretty quiet. At night, though, teacups would explode, piles of dirt would materialize everywhere, puddles, the lights would go out. All the time, the family would find the main breaker switch beneath the stairs uh, off. Mm. So one time, Jean just taped it up in the up position, and then the lights went off again. She goes to investigate. It's in the off position, and the tape is just gone, never to be found again. Now, Philip suggested that they call the And that's a big deal, because normally, if a fuse blows, it doesn't blow the main fuse. It blows a little one. So a little one will flip. But this was the actual switch, the main power, being pulled down. And when they tried to fix it with tape, the tape just disappeared. Whoopsie. Whatever. Yeah. Oopsie. (laughs) (laughs) Must have saved them so much money on their electricity bill. Now, Philip suggested that they try to call the vicar to come and exercise this unwanted guest. And they were like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. They just, for the first time, they thought, okay. So they called um, Reverend uh, Davey, and his initial visit was to ascertain kind of what ought to be done because exorcism is no laughing matter, and they knew from experience that sometimes things got worse, or, mm-hmm. you know, they had to go to this whole sort of bureaucratic rigmarole with the Catholic mm-hmm. Church to, to clear an exorcism. So, um, I just want to shout out to rigmarole. That's and- the second time we've used that in this podcast, <laughs> and I enjoy it. It's a good, good, strong word. It is. So he came to visit to to kind of assess the situation, but nothing happened while he was there at first. And Jean was really embarrassed. They were having tea, and she's like, I'm so sorry to have brought you here for nothing. And no sooner did she she say that, that the house erupted in these knocking sounds all over everywhere. Ah. This crash sounded from the next room. As often was the signifier, something crashes. was going on. Lots of crashes. They went to go investigate. Every cup, saucer, and plate from the china cabinet was splayed out across the carpet. Unbroken. Oh, shit. Um, the vicar declined to perform an exorcism <laughs> at that point and just instead advised the family to move. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. So much for that motherfucker. Um... Now, one night, Diane got trapped in a corner of her bedroom beneath a wardrobe and a sewing machine. They just came at her mm. and, like, just lifted off the ground and came at her, and they would trap her. But, again, she wouldn't feel the pressure. She just couldn't move. Yeah. So it's not like they were holding her down. It was this weird thing. In fact, on four occasions in this one evening, her she was toppled off. She was thrown off her bed, and the mattress would come out and on top of her. And she couldn't get it off, and they'd finally come, and every time, it's only when her father was like, okay, just, okay, relax, try to relax, because you're tensing up and you're trying to push it off. See what happens when you relax. She would relax, and they could take the mattress off. Hmm. This happened four times in one night with her. Now, this, oh my God, this is one of my favorite little moments. So when the haunting started getting traction in the local paper, the Yorkshire Evening Post, (laughs) Joe's sister, Maud, who was this rather sanctimonious woman, she came to visit. She was very perturbed that her brother's family would stoop to seeking publicity and was convinced this whole thing was just staged, Mm -hmm. right? So she was upbraiding Joe and the rest of them in the kitchen about, you know, this, you can't, this is undignified, this is whatever, this is immoral. And as she was trying to tell them, like, we know, we don't believe you, we think this is all fake, the lights go out, as they often did, the refrigerator door opened, and a jug of milk floats out <laughs> and empties on her head. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's such a Harry Potter moment, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, her gloves leapt from her purse and started dancing on the table like someone's hands were in them doing a little Charlie Chaplin thing. Yeah. And then they just disappeared. Right in front of them. I mean, like, the lights, you still see light streaming in through the windows and stuff. So even though the lights had gone out, it wasn't like this was dark right. and people were doing this. And, and so Maud is like, what are you doing? What is going on? You're doing this somehow. She just refused to believe it. They heard a crash from upstairs. Mm-hmm. Another crash. And they all go upstairs. and, in, and I can they, only imagine, too. They're like, ha-ha! 
And they're like, I mean, they're sitting there going, they're just the movie, like, hey, bitch. Like, we told you, motherfucker. Yeah, tell us we're faking it. Tell us yeah. we're faking it. Maude goes upstairs with them and they find her gloves. This is, I love this. It's so weird. They find her gloves. One of them is outside Diane's door and it is like clenching a fist and it's mm-hmm. like shaking it at mod right and the other is inside the doorway floating floating in midair like a mm-hmm. hand is in it fully formed and like is making a cr- sort of come hither <sighs> gesture and then mod starts freaking out and she just starts singing onward christian soldiers because she doesn't know <laughs> what else to do and then the gloves i'm gonna start doing that <laughs> the gloves came together and started conducting her <laughs> I, I love, love this ghost. So, um, <laughs> so Maude got the fuck out and never came back. I bet. She refused. Um, I wonder if she took her gloves. No. She left <laughs> she, them? She left the gloves. She wanted nothing to do with anything. It was, oh my God, just that poor woman. Thought just she like knew. Running Thought out, she knew. milk on her head, cold hands. It's right. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> one evening while family friend Renee Holden was visiting, the lights went out as they often did. Um, they could hear a gentle tapping coming from the window. All of a sudden, a plate of finger sandwiches that that, uh, Jean had put together flew off the coffee table and landed somewhere behind the TV. So retrieving them, Mrs. Holden noticed a bite was taken out of one with rather large teeth. Oh, my God. And she kind of, they all laughed and were like, this is, are you kidding me? So Mrs. Holden, Renee was like, can I... Can I keep this little sandwich as a souvenir? Because this is kind. Because of, by now everyone knew about the haunted house mm-hmm, on right. on Thirty East Drive, and they were everywhere, and so many people had experiences. So she kept it. She wrapped it in, in saran wrap or something, and uh, she wrapped it and took it across the street. It it disintegrated in a day. Oh, yeah. Like how fucking weird is this shit? That and like weird. even like, and the, the ghosts seem to be really into taking people's suggestions and being like, oh yeah, that's a good idea, and then pranking them. So like the mayor came to visit at one point, and he he noticed they had this uh, really beautiful ornate uh, grandfather clock at the foot of the stairs, mm-hmm. and he was like, well at least nothing's happened to that. Oh no! <laughs> and then later that night, the thing exploded. Holy <laughs> shit! Destroyed it, right? Reverend Vic Kelly, another guy, offered to come over and sprinkle the home with holy water. Not exactly an exorcism, but he was like, I could do something. A little so refresh. Mr. Nobody responded by snatching the vial from his hand and smashing it against the wall. Uh, after this, Mr. Nobody slash Fred seemed to get really into religious iconography. Like He was like, that's an idea. So <laughs> hey, there. the next day, as Diane was walking through the door home after school, a brass crucifix above the mantel flew at her. And stuck to her back. And Jean could not get it the fuck off. Oh my god. Uh, they were hearing the rattlings all over the house at, at this time. like, And they were freaking out. Get it off, get it off, get it off. Finally managed to get it off. But only after they heard uh, there, the, there was a portrait of Jesus in the hallway that just suddenly fell to the floor. And at the same time, the crucifix came off of mm-hmm. Diane's back. It left a red cross mark between her shoulder blades that didn't hurt but was there for days. Oh my god. On Easter Sunday, Jean woke to find all the doors in the house decorated with inverted gold crosses, painted, like, through three above the mantel as well. And it's like they'd been painted with a stencil. They were so exact. The paint apparently had come from a spray can they'd had out in in, uh, the garden that they intended to use to paint, uh, I think, Philip's bike. Um, but they were trying to use it to make these crosses the way they had seen them painted all over the house and they couldn't do it. It was mm-hmm. too precise. It would like these globs would collect and these, these little gold crosses. There was this paint, but it, they were perfect. Yeah. And they disappeared a few days later. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this That's was so fucking fucked weird. up, right? 
Um, now, Mr. Nobody is unique among the, uh, among the records of poltergeist activity in that he seemed able to move objects through solid matter, which doesn't happen very often. Um, well, and no, also, also it in that his antics were usually preceded by the scent of flowers as opposed to the common, like, rancid odor that mm-hmm. we associate with this sort of thing. Um, so one evening, an egg floated, they're all just sitting in the living room, and this egg just floats out of the kitchen and kind of comes to the middle of the room and explodes. And mm-hmm. it explodes into just nothing. It disappears once it explodes, but it just fills the house with this gorgeous floral perfume. <laughs> and they're like, okay, but Jean, who Thank is now... You, Fred. Fred. was on Jean's last nerve at this point, so she runs into the kitchen, begins taking the eggs out of the carton, and she puts them all in a bread box and shuts the lid and sat on it and was, like, daring Fred to do something. <laughs> The eggs just Gina's started appearing upset. in front of her and exploding in the same way, one after the other, until none of them were left. And the house was reeking of this floral scent. And she, I could just imagine oh this God. poor woman going, Fred! Stop it, Brad. Stop like, it's it. almost comical. Now, one night, uh, Jean was cleaning the chimney flue, and out of nowhere, 19 keys... Um, that Fred had apparently collected, most of them from the house, they, were, mm-hmm. they belonged to the Pritchards, had collected and stuffed up the chimney, and now as she was cleaning, they just fell onto her. Oh my gosh. There was one key, however, that they did not know where it came from. It was this old antique brass skeleton key. Right. And that none of them recognized. They, they went to the neighbors because they shared a wall with one person, and they were like, no, nothing. They, no one could figure out. And with that key... This is when they started seeing the apparition of the black monk. Oh. And which, again, now you have an apparition, which is unusual in mm-hmm. poltergeist stories. It started with uh, one night, uh, Joe and Jean just woke up and at the foot of their bed was standing this tall figure in a black Benedictine style or Clunaic style robes. And they just looked at him and they said, and several people saw it over the course, even their neighbors saw it. Their neighbor, uh, uh, Martha, who lived, who, with whom they shared a wall, she saw him too at one point near the kitchen. She just had this feeling, turned around, and there he was. And then oh. he was gone. And they all said the weirdest thing, like when they looked upon him, they didn't feel dread or fear. They just felt mild curiosity. Like mm. he didn't seem real. He wouldn't move. He didn't move. He would always just be stock still. But then he just... About like existence. a picture. Almost like a picture. With, with huh. three-dimensional, like it was very right, detailed. But... but like a picture, he'd just be sitting there. Or standing there, rather. And they saw him multiple, multiple, multiple times. And uh, what else? What else? Let's see. May. It wasn't Martha, not May. Her name was May, uh, who saw him as well. And May Mount. It's a great name. And uh, <laughs> she saw it several times, too. Now... So this and this this kind of stuff went on for nine months with this family after it happened. Like there was a two year break, and then it started kind of centering around Diane. And when it centered around Diane, the youngest, uh, it, it went on for nine months straight. Sometimes the noise in the house they would hear, like they would hear animal sounds, they would hear rattling, they would hear banging. These weird explosions would, no, but nothing would be out of place. And nothing would be exploded. And sometimes the noises were so fucking loud that they would have to shout to hear each other. Like, and they got to this point where they just, it was driving them fucking crazy. They never sought any kind of financial publicity for this. They didn't get a dime for their stories. And they just kind of, it became like everyone in town started coming over to see stuff. And just about everyone that came over um, had an experience. A fucking member of parliament 
came to the house and had an experience, like saw wow. something fly across the room. It was like, oh, yep, okay. Like, so the whole <laughs> fucking town, the whole town was, and they weren't, and bear in mind, this is not a town that wanted tourism because they didn't, they didn't like right. to talk about it outside of Pontefract, but inside the town, they were just everyone, like pretty much half the fucking town had had an experience in that house during the wow. nine months that it was very popular because the activity was so weird and so highly active and there seemed to be an active intelligence around it that would take suggestions from people and be like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm totally going to use that in yeah. my next bit. <laughs> Right, yeah. And very attention-seeking poltergeist. Very much so, which seems to be the pattern. It just seems that the Black Monk, that Mr. Nobody is is particularly, you know, all about that life. So the tale's climax came one night when the lights went out yet again, and Jean heard Diane screaming from the stairs. When she rushed to see what was going on, she found her daughter being dragged up them by unseen hands. In fact, her, her shirt was being pulled out in front of her like this, invisibly. And uh, so Joe and Jean and Philip all came to her rescue and kind of helped her from whatever this was, and they found marks on her throat. And that was when they all just were like, oh, this is, that's the first time it had ever been violent to any of them, and that was the last thing it did. Joe, (laughs) this is so fucking strange, and this is how the story ends, and this is what makes it so surreal, and like, this is the Salvador Dali of (laughs) of Poltergeist hauntings. This is why I love it so much. Joe was at work, and um, telling his friend, like some coworker of his that they ran the shop with about, you know, like, what the fuck do I do about this? And his buddy against some salt of the earth Yorkshireite was like, well, you know, garlic tends to, you know, do things like that. <laughs> you know, you should try garlic. Well, her, and so like, he just bought a shit ton of garlic and put it in the windows and stuff and all of the house. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> happened after that. Nothing happened. Ever again. Wow. And that's the story of the Black Monk of Pontefract. Holy shit. An entire town just about had experiences, and it has never been debunked. It has been written about by many, many people. The preachers have always stuck to their story. Mm-hmm. I think Philip and, and uh, young Diane are still alive. Okay. I think Joe and Jean passed uh, some time ago. But uh, multiple you know, investigators have come to talk to them, and the stories have never changed. Like, yeah. it's all this stuff, and it's, it's really fucking weird. Yeah, that yeah. is weird. Uh-huh. Wow, and huh? I'd never heard of that one yeah. before. The That's so Black good. Black Monk of Pontefract. Pontefract. Yeah, and I'm really described. There were so many other little stories, yeah. nine months worth of stories that I could I could easily waste another hour Love or two that. telling you about. But those were the highlights for me. So, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. All right, so I guess that's it for this episode. Of ghoul intentions. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to check us out on the social medias uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page. We'll post uh, probably some images of. There's yeah. a few pictures oh, yeah. that I saw from. There's this really great um, orange orb mm. from Pavalia mm. that this woman caught. Um, and it, it could be a reflection. Um, because they're on a boat and the sun is shining it could be but it's a perfect circle it has like a little star through it and apparently what got me is that it was seen several times on you know in different pictures around the island so um put some pictures of some fun pictures up and there's a picture of the of 30 east drive yeah of the house yeah okay good good um the black monk's home yeah so uh check out that and uh you know our Merchandise is on our website. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, People are really liking those shirts. I know. I love mine. I know. I like mine too. Yes. Hashtag bitches and white. You look so good in it. Thank you. 
and you know you can go to ghoulintentions.com for links uh, to our stuff and to submit your own personal supernatural experience for consideration to be read as a, the cold open for a future mm-hmm. episode Please thank do. you again Kathleen for today's such uh, a great cold story open. such a wonderful story about sleep paralysis um, and you can also just email those stories directly no, no, to Google no. Intentions. But no, 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 now, no. oh wait, no, 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 don't email. I did it wrong. Don't email it. We're doing it differently now. So, yeah, there's a. If you go to GhoulIntentions.com, there is a submission form. Yes, there's a submission form. Yes. Which is actually much easier than email. It is way easier than just emailing so us. Easy to click on you it, can yes. email us your ghost stories, though. You can submit your ghost stories. Like if you just have yeah. something you want to tell us. We'll take that. Shit, why not? I should, we should, I should take this moment to remind listeners that we want personal ghost stories. If it's like a, just a ghost story you know of that didn't necessarily happen to you, we're less interested in that because we like personal stories. Right. But if you know like a historical ghost story like the ones we're telling, nah, don't worry about that. We'll, yeah. we'll find stuff. Um, but those those we don't read, those kind of submissions we don't read as cold no. openings because that's just not, that's not the format. We want a personal ghost story mm-hmm. that happened to you. Um, yes. A real life you. ghost story is preferred. Yes. Yes. We yes. will do like specials where we read um, people's, you know, written stories that are not real, but they're mm-hmm. good stories. We'll we'll do good those stories. Stories uh, here and there, but we want yeah. your real life ghost stories. Yeah. That's what we're going for. Yeah. So thanks again for listening, you guys. And yeah. I guess we come to the end where you give me the quote. What's I my, do. What's my, what's my challenge for today? Okay. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Lord of the Rings. Damn it. I knew it before you even finished. I know. You were like, right That's ahead. so cool. We're so in tune because I've been thinking a lot about Lord of the Rings lately. I know. Well, you guessed that last time and I was like, ooh, I'll do Lord of the Rings this time. Oh, then, did I guess it last time? Yeah, but it was Harry Potter. You were like, it sounds like Lord of the Rings, but maybe oh, the time, yeah. Nice. And that's you know, from, and that's from, it's from uh, uh, Fellowship. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it's um, uh, Galadriel. Yeah, I think giving so, him yeah. That, yeah. 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 It's a good one. Or it's, it's not a Galadriel Gandalf that's giving Frodo that advice. Yeah. Again, it's all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Mm. It's good. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yes. So that's it. Thank you guys <gasps> Thank for, you for listening. So this much was, fun. I hope you guys had as much fun as we did. So I such know. a blast. Such a blast. It's so good. Oh, and creepy remember, islands, like monks. Oh, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.